Good morning. And it has been a good morning. Heard a lot of good scripture, good conversation in the back. Um, I'm going to keep it pretty simple today, and, and basically, I'm going to show you some scriptures. And so, if I would, if I were to title this message, it would be "Scriptures Demonstrating God's Mercy." And my message has been totally wrecked because uh, Dad's uh, conversation took me in another direction. I cut the third page out, and Nathan had something in the back that was fantastic. So I want to share that with you as well. Nathan opened uh, up with Matthew 23, and you can turn there if you want to. But basically, I'm gonna—I'm sorry, 27. And I just want to uh, give a sentiment on this. And I won't—I won't read out of Matthew 27. You're more than welcome to go there. But <clears throat> the verses he read. We're right along the line of the vein of what I want to talk about. And he wrote, he he read, when the Lord was on the cross. And the Lord was taunted at that point in time. He was taunted. And we spoke in the back that the Lord could come down off of that cross anytime he wanted to. But that's not how mercy works. The Lord, our God incarnate, took those punishments, those earthly punishments, and those worldly punishments or spiritually punishments, and he took them for us. He could come down, and our ego, that's what I thought about when we were sitting in the back, my ego would be, I am all-encompassing of all power, so I'm going to go down off this cross, but that does not save, that does not deliver his people. And so our frailty, is that a word, being frail, uh, (laughs) would never allow mercy to take place because our ego would be in the way if we were to be our own savior. This all stemmed off of a conversation that I had a long time ago over John 3.16 and how it is this encompassing verse that saves everybody. It's not how that works. That's a misinterpretation of those that verse. And so what I want to show you is God's mercy today and why we cannot save ourselves, but why he saves as well. Dad also spoke on Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'm sorry, yeah, Romans 8, Verses 38 39. I'll go ahead and read that one for you. Romans 8, 38 39. Very clear chapter to a believer. And verses uh, 38 of Romans 8 reads For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that's earthly, those are kings and queens nor things now, present, nor things to come in the future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's ultimate mercy. There is nothing that can separate. So while he hung on the cross, we were saved. Before Adam and Eve, we were saved. Everything before And in the future to come, 
our future sins are forgiven, we will be delivered uh, through his mercy. So even though we are presently in a state that we are, in the future state that we are, we may be no better. We may be better. I don't know. Uh, our, our past may be worse or may be better than we are now in reality. But the mercy of the Lord will deliver. And that's what I'm going to hopefully show you again here through these verses. So I open with Psalms 103. Psalms 103. And I'm going to take you to three more verses through the day. <clears throat> Psalms 103, and verses 8 through 18. And these are blessed verses. They just speak to a believer of the Lord's mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. I guess we can go home. That's pretty, pretty blessed. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof <clears throat> shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is for everlasting, to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. <clears throat> God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. <clears throat> he doesn't deal with us according to our sins or punish us according to our iniquities. In verse 8, God's love is steadfast, <clears throat> enduring, and a commitment. <clears throat> Excuse me. He is slow to anger. The Lord does not react impulsively. He gives himself time for mercy because it's everlasting. <clears throat> he is plenteous in mercy and truth. He abounds in mercy, and he shows compassion and keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. I'm pretty sure that none of us have ever done that on any level. I know I speak for myself. There is no promise that is uh, <clears throat> that I've uh, kept promises, but there are some that I have not, obviously. And so he keeps his. <clears throat> in verse 9, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. <laughs> when I wrote that, I was uh, in my classroom and I looked over at a student that had the What Would Jesus Do band. And uh, Jesus is not our friend. You know, he, he's not your buddy that's going to deliver you. Um, 
He is a true Savior. He's, a, he's more than a friend. He's loving kindness on a whole other level. He has forbearance and restraint as well. Look at verse 9. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. I found that as a believer, you find yourself in these spots and they come and they go, they ebb and they flow. And I don't, you know, it's the Lord's mercy that we're returned. But there are these moments where we're in the depth, I mean, of, of any kind of emotion. And that's him chiding, as the verse says, and we are at the lowest of the low. There's points where I would probably wake up and I would question, I don't think I believe. I, I honestly don't think I know the gospel. There are times on, especially a Wednesday, uh, we come to church, and I, I'm pretty sure I can honestly say I go through the motions. Um, and, and there's times that I get up on a Sunday, and I, oh my goodness, I would just love to stay in bed. I know we have a service at 9.30, and that's not real late or whatever, but the the point of it, what I'm saying is, is that the Lord, that's that's the Lord, those moments are the lowest of the low, and when the Lord brings you back, the Lord, that's a mercy that he's bestowed upon you, that he will knock you down. And on top of that, he will also bring you to where you hear him again. And a lot of times we don't hear him. We, we, we go for a long period of time sometimes without hearing him. In verse 10, he says, he hath not dealt with us after our own sins. If we were to be punished for our sins, we could rank ourselves by humanistic uh, abilities that were uh, bad sinners or, or better sinners than everybody else, and there would be a bar graph that everybody would be on. That's not the truth. He, he does not see sin anymore. Our sin is fully forgiven by his sacrifice. We are not rewarded us, verse 10, according to our iniquities. Reward would be a full-blown punishment. Verse 11 for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is the mercy toward them that fear him. There is no gap. And this goes along also with uh, verse 12. As far as east from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He's talking about a distance. There is no distance that will ever gap us back from our, return our sins, if you will. The distance between God's mercy and our failings to the vastness as a true distance. Distance. In verse 11 and 12, we are shown the gap between the Lord and us. I'm sorry, between... We're, in verse 11 and 12, we're shown the gap between uh, sin and the Lord. And it is fully as far as any person could ever imagine. Number uh, Verse 13. I'm sorry. Oh, verse 14. Okay. Verse 14. For he know, knoweth our frame. He knows what we are. We are a dust is what he says. And, you know, I don't know what you do with dust, but you sweep it away. It's the lowest of low. He knows our frame. We are what we are. God remembers our frailty and knows we are dust. He forgives our sins like the clouds disperse. 
and he and his righteousness extends to those who keep his covenant. In verse 14, he remembers our limitations. We are created beings with nothing as our origin. Nothing as our origin. He's acknowledging our weakness. And I found that these verses ebb and flow because when you see a gracious uh, verse, you see your situation and you see the Lord's situation and you also see the way the Lord saves. In verse 15 through 16, like a grass or a flower emphasizes our fleeting nature and God's awareness of it. The Lord knows what we are. Now, I've done a poor job of setting this up. Basically, what this came to was verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting, is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. That doesn't mean, we've said this before, to fear him does not mean we're afraid of him. It means we're in awe of him. We love him. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that love him and his righteousness unto children's children. His mercy is for those who believe in him. Not merely fear of punishment, but reverence and respect. His mercy endures forever to those who fear him and keep his commandments. His righteousness extends to all believers. His covenant is faithfulness and continues despite individual failings. No matter what you do, if you're in him, you are forever kept. You are forever his. That's a full mercy. It's from everlasting to everlasting. God has a boundless mercy. He is exceeding our limitations because we can keep him in a box so we can imagine what he is. But his limitations, I don't even know if you can put limitations on the gospel. There isn't one. The Lord takes care of all. And he forgives all transgressions for his believers. And I want to make something clear. My father and I had a conversation last night and it was the same tone every time, you know, as Lord Jesus Christ. When we speak and we say from anybody comes up here and says, we say all people. It's not John 3.16 from the world. It's not all people. It's not every human being that ever lived. It is people who believe in Christ as an elect person as a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that we all are here today. If you would, turn to Luke uh, 15. I won't read the whole passage, but please go back and read this passage. I have a note in this passage that... Uh, is probably one of the oldest notes in my Bible. and It literally reads, Free Sovereign Grace. So John 15, and I'm going to start in verse 25 through 32, and this is the parable son. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound, the parable son. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time. <clears throat> They com- the uh, they commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which uh, hath devoured thy living with uh, harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And I want to focus on verse 31. Like I said, please go back and read the entire verse. Verse 31. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. The Father's response, God's desire for mercy and restoration over judgment. It was necessary. This son was always lost until his repentance. He was, he was, that's us. We're lost. To rejoice reflects God's delight in the sinner's return. This is mercy yet again. Christ's salvation is forever. It's permanent. If you have a fear of falling into the group of hell, there shouldn't be if you're kept by him. And all I have is mine. That's the Lord's words. According to King James Version, all this is in red, which means that's Jesus' words. And verse 31 is red. That's Jesus' words. And all I have is thine. (laughs) That's everything. That's everything to a believer. Not just everything for comfort. Literally, salvation is yours. All I have is thine. Ultimate mercy is that you're kept because he says so. That's that's all you need. You know, I can go and tell you... um, Who's going to win the Super Bowl today? That doesn't mean anything. I can tell you uh, my mom's kettle cooked beef is really, really good. And it doesn't mean anything. But if you tell, if if you've heard the Lord, if you read that, that's his words. And if he's kept you, verse 31 means more than it did a minute ago. Because he says, all that I have is thine. Well, what's he have? He has his believers. He has you. He is the ultimate mercy. You're kept. All that I have is thine. You have what he has. Everything. All right. And lastly, I'm going to take you to John 3, 16 and 17.
You know, I can remember calling Drew years ago. I was in Parker Hall, uh, the parking lot. I had just got done with a delivery. And uh, I was working at the university. I was uh, delivering copies. I don't know what happened. I don't know your old story, and I'm not looking to testify at all. But I remember mm, Sunday or Wednesday before, came to the church as normal and got my Bible out because that's what mom and dad said to do. And uh, somebody spoke. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Drew. I don't remember. And I just I heard the word mercy, and I heard the word salvation, and I heard the word elect. And I think that was about it. I, I may be romanticizing this memory, but I remember pulling into the parking lot and getting done with my delivery. It was about noon or so, and I didn't have any classes that day, and something hit me. I mean, smoked me. And um, I remember calling Drew in tears because I was arrested by the Lord. I, I had heard the message for the first time that I've ever heard the message. And, and it was so funny that you can sit here for 20 years and you don't hear the message. But yet at a certain point in time, the mercy of the Lord will arrest you. You'll hear the word. And it's not something that you can hear in other churches. It, it really isn't. And um, you hear things that make you feel really good. And like my dad always says, you know, he would go as a young man and he would go and he would... Uh, go to services and he'd feel really good and then later on about half the day you know just kind of the shine wore off and that's what happened to me for a really long time and it's it's interesting that the lord has a point in time a mercy that bestows upon you and what it does is it does not open your eyes and life is fantastic it does i think off the bat pretty well the opposite it shows you what you are. It shows you that you are a sinner at the fullest level. You're the lowest of the low, as the Bible says. You're the worst sinner of worst sinners because you're aware of it. If you're not aware of sinning, you feel pretty good about it. You, don't, you can kind of gloss it. But a believer can hear the word and know, especially off the bat, where the Lord has blessed you with the ultimate mercy. The ultimate mercy of being aware of your sin, your condition. But then on top of that, His mercy, His ultimate mercy. Thank God that He has exposed us to the ultimate sin that we are. Thank God that He has shown us His mercy. Thank God that He shows us what these words actually mean. Thank God that He gives us vessels that come to pulpits and speak the truth, and I hope I'm doing that today. Thank God that he has us a clear heart, that it continues as well, that the Lord shows us what we really are. And the verse that actually drew and I's first conversation were these verses, John three sixteen and 17. And you all know them, they're classics. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everybody's saved. Just go and believe. Verse 13 says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven but that but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Read in context, you can see that this is talking about a select group of people, a blessed group of people. Verse 16, this simple verse encapsulates the heart of God's mercy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I've got children. (laughs) I don't know how. I have no clue how he, he, you know, I'm, I'm so fallible, I don't know how you could sacrifice a child. But, he gave his own self. Why? That whoever believeth in him should not perish. That's why. He loved his elect so much that he sacrificed his own son to have everlasting life. So if you're part of his elect, you have everlasting life through the ultimate mercy of the Lord sacrificing his own son. Now, I saw this the other day, verse 17. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it. My last point is very simple. Not to condemn the world. God desires restoration of his people, not a punishment. The world is already condemned. Romans 5.18 Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. However, but the elect is already free from condemnation. Continuing on on Romans 5.18. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Romans 8.1. There is therefore no, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's the elect. That's you. If you believe, that's you. If the Lord's blessed you. I'll leave you on this. I'm going to read you. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to read you Charles Spurgeon. Condemnation does does come to the world through Christ because the world rejects him. But that was no part of God's design in sending him. His design is salvation. Salvation only. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Not even now, notwithstanding every sin he has committed. Let me read that again. Notwithstanding every sin that you have committed. He is not condemned. You're not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Unbelieving is the condemning sin. It seals upon us the condemnation of every other sin. If thou dost not believe in Christ this morning, my hearer, thou art not in a state of probation. Thou art condemned already. He that believes on him is not in a state of probation. He is not condemned. He is already acquitted.
He is at this moment free from condemnation before the judgment seat of God. We pray.